Hello and welcome to the Rainmakers Roadmap Podcast. My name is Lindsay and I'll be your host as we explore some careers together, so stay right here. Today we're interviewing Diane McKay, president of Mustang Marketing. Um, Diane? Hi, um, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, would you mind introducing yourself really briefly? What you're doing now? Well, I'm now I'm recovering from the shock of buying Mustang Marketing right at the beginning of a pandemic. I started purchasing it in 2016, and the close date was just always set for January 2020. And it was so I didn't get a pandemic discount. I bought this company and just in time to send all the employees home. I've actually never run the company with the employees in an office, only as remote employees. So it's been a surprise learning experience for me. Fortunately, it is the second company that I've owned, but it's very different than the first company that I did own. So um, in addition to that, I'm also an elected community college trustee. So we closed down all our colleges as well and sent 30,000 students home to learn online. So it has been a long year. Wow. What a roller coaster. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh my goodness. So before you bought Mustang Marketing, were you already working in marketing or was this kind of a direction change for you? Um, I was, I started working there in 2010. Okay. It was, it wasn't what I got my major in college. So I was finally working in what I set out to do in college. And um, it was a friend of mine that owned the company and I was um, in, I had sold my other company and was sort of between careers. Mm-hmm. And he thought that he said, why don't you come to work at Mustang? So I did. I saw a company that had once been large and he had kind of paired it way back looking towards retirement mm-hmm. where I saw something that could grow and um, I could buy it. Probably the one mistake I made is I grew it a lot before I bought it. So I made it more expensive to buy. (laughs) So that was a learning lesson. But, you know, it was I had to show myself that it could grow. I mean, it was really all part of the plan. It was to grow this business, really work hard to do that and know that it was something viable to buy and move forward with. So what is it that you do now? What? We're talking to students who maybe aren't really aware of what it would mean to work in marketing. So would you explain a little bit kind of like your day-to-day tasks? And Sure. I mean, Mustang is a small agency. I mean, a lot of people think marketing and they see Coca-Cola commercials and Ford commercials, and we are not that. We're not a big consumer agency, Saatchi and Saatchi or um, Shiat Day or any of the big old firms that people think of or Mad Men. It's a small agency. We know who we are. We kind of are the largest in Ventura County. We have a big footprint here. You know, so we're a big fish in a small pond. But so my day to day is to meet with our clients. I try to keep our clients happy, um, make sure that their needs are being met by my staff. We do, we're a full service agency. So what that means is we do public relations, we do advertising, we will do digital advertising, print advertising, um, radio, uh, billboards, anything, you name it, we will do all of it. But um, so we're not specialists. We don't, we also don't work in a specific industry. In fact, we try to only have one company in each industry, which is a different model. There's a lot of like, healthcare agencies and they specialize in healthcare or finance or things like that. Um, I think what attracted me to Mustang was that it didn't do that, that 
there were lots of different businesses. I love to learn about different businesses and kind of meddle in them. And so for me, it was fun. So you mentioned advertising and PR. Would those be kind of the two categories of marketing that you do most of your work in or are there others as well? Um, well, strategic planning. Okay. I mean, I don't think you can really do marketing without having a really good strategic plan. Um, probably my later marketing classes, if I go back 40 years to college and I think real hard about it, it really was about, you know, what do you know? What do you think? But that, what can you prove? There is a lot of data out there that you have to work with in marketing. I think I took five semesters of statistics mm-hmm. to really understand that you have to crunch a lot of numbers to prove that a marketing plan is working. And so you have to set that plan out. What, you know, what are you trying to reach and agree on that? Mm -hmm. I always say paint done for me. What does done look like? What does success look like? So that we at least agree when we got there, because if they think, you know, it's green and I think it's blue, we're not even heading in the same place. That's a great point. That's really interesting. So there's the planning and working with the client to make that plan and agree on where you're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of people are familiar with, with what it means to do advertising because that's where we interact with yeah. <laughs> companies usually as consumers. But what can you explain a little bit about PR? What is PR? I mean, public relations is a lot of things now. It is the full social media complement, um, the digital footprint that somebody might have. That is their LinkedIn account, their um, Facebook account, their Instagram. I mean, whatever market they're going after, we kind of pick their channels for them. But they have to have that constant care and feeding. You can't all the, when you're in trouble is usually when public relations comes around. Crisis management is a lot of what we do. But what we try to explain to our clients is they need to already have a relationship with their city officials or their county officials or their state you know, officials, whoever it is that is going to be able to help them when they're in a crisis have a good relationship with them already. And so that's what we work on with them, having a good relationship with their local publications and their local news agencies. So again, when they have that crisis, it's not the first time that they ever hear about this company is a bad thing. That's interesting to know because you're right. I think of public relations as like, oh, a huge scandal occurred and now public relations is stepping in, but it's constant work. It is. It's constant care and feeding. It's constantly putting the name out there. You want your your clients to be thought of as the thought leader in their industry so that if someone's writing an article, for example, on health insurance, you want your health insurance agency, your health insurance agent to be the one that gets called mm-hmm. and their opinion is the one that's quoted in the paper because that third party endorsement that's news versus advertising is worth so much more. Totally. That's... A great point that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of. (laughs) So um, let's maybe now let's talk about kind of your story. Okay. We can start from like your college decision, what you decided to major in and all of these things and kind of lead us through how you got to where you are now. I think it's probably fair to start in high school Mm -hmm. simply because school was not my thing. I, I didn't love school. And I loved to work. I actually started working when I was 15 with a work permit. 
And then when I was 16, I went to work for my dad. They worked at a motorhome manufacturing company in the Valley. And so I had what I, you know, a real job where I worked with people that had mortgages and children. And they really didn't care if I had a prom date or a cheerleader or those, my goofy little high school problems. When I, when compared to these, they came to this job every day. This was their life. This is what they were doing. So I think being exposed to that at 16 and 17 and 18 years old before I went to college gave me a real focus on what life was going to look like when I came out and what it could look like if, if I tried harder in school. So I was a much better college student than I was a high school student. That is for absolute certainty. Yeah, that helps you grow up when you're hanging around grownups. Yeah, <laughs> See how they're real problems. Yeah. So um, my mom had this rule that if they were going to pay for college, I had to be an eight hours drive away from home. She knew me well. I was very close to my friends and I didn't leave home well. I was really close to my dad. As I said, I worked with him. So um, that left me. You know, my choices were Chico, Humboldt, um, Davis wasn't even quite far enough away, um, Arizona State. So I had narrowed down to Arizona State and Chico State. I went up to Chico. It's so beautiful there. It looked like an East Coast campus to me. I mean, I really didn't have the guts to go far, far away. I was not going to, I, mean, I wasn't going to Chicago or New York or anything. And um, so I fell in love with Chico. I went to school there. I figured I could transfer after a couple of years if I didn't like it, but I loved it. I would have, I could have found a job there. I probably never would have left. And, um, but they had a really good business school. They still do. I was on their board for a long time from their college of business. And so I took my studies very seriously and I was extremely lucky when I was in college, my dad changed industries himself from out of the motorhome business and got into satellite television. Satellites had just been deregulated. Ted Turner led the fight for satellite downlinks to be deregulated. They never probably should have been regulated in the first place, but anyway, um, so I got to enter an industry while I was still in college part-time um, that most people didn't know anything about. And so I considered myself extraordinarily lucky to be an expert in my field. When I was 25 years old, I knew more than most people did. And I got to have a lot of responsibility at a young age. And um, some of that was because I worked for my dad. But some of it was because I really worked hard and learned the technology. So when you were in college, if I'm understanding, you were studying. And then in the summers, you went home and worked with your dad in his satellite media, satellite broadcasting. Yeah, not just summers either. I mean, spring break, I would work five days. Um, if I, At Christmas, I would take you know, intercession, we would have a longer, with semesters, you have a longer break. So I would work five weeks. I mean, I never took time off. I went to school, I worked. And I stayed at Chico State for a reason. They did this distance learning there, which used this technology that we were going to be selling. And so I took distance learning classes, even though I didn't need them, to see how it worked. They see how the live classes worked, how it worked for the classes that were asking questions from far away. How did the technology work best? So I really immersed myself in it even while I was still in school. That also sort of prepared you for last year in <laughs> an interesting way. <laughs> awesome. So in college, you studied business and you worked and that was that was your life was work and school it was I took my between my junior and senior year that summer I did take off it was the only summer I ever took off 
And believe it or not, my parents were really mad about it. They thought it was lazy. I'd always worked. And I knew that I would go to work. I mean, I literally did start work two days after graduation and I knew I would. So I did take that time. Um, I took a couple community college classes that summer and I did take that summer off. And looking back, I'm glad I did because I worked like crazy for the next long time. So good to take a break sometimes. <laughs> Every now and then, even if your parents get mad at you, it is good to kind of I, I needed to shake it off a little and make sure that I wasn't just heading down a road because that was the expected path for me to take. So post-college, two days later, first day at work as a newly graduated. It was during a recession. I graduated in 1982. So even though I knew my job really well, my dad's company had been purchased by a large organization, Oak Industries. And so the only job that was available was the clerk typist. So that's the job I took. I worked for about, I want to say, six weeks, I think, when the company, again, it was an economic crisis time for the country. Everyone in the company had to take a a 10% pay cut, except because I was only a clerk typist, I only had to take a 5% pay cut. But it was an early learning lesson on, you know, life, it just happens. And so I had just signed a lease on an apartment. And so I thought I might have to go cocktail waitress at night. Luckily, I somehow figured out how to make ends meet. And the company grew and the economy grew out of its problems and life goes on. But it was um, a big lesson right off the bat. It was like, wow, my big job, you know, wearing my suit, my heels and thinking it was all great. And, you know, then there was no money, no extra money for anything. So that job that you took right out of college, you were up at Chico State and then you came back down to Here. LA County. Yeah, I, I actually moved back to Thousand Oaks Um the office was located in Woodland Hills. So I got an apartment here in Thousand Oaks where I had been raised. And, um, but the company that owned it was out of Crystal Lake, Illinois. And ultimately I was called back to work there. So I did get to go live somewhere else for three years. I lived in Chicago and had my big urban experience and my seasons experience and snow and cold and all that stuff. I got married in Chicago and had my first child in Chicago And um, then my dad and I decided we'd learned a lot through that experience, but we were going to start our own business again and do it a little bit differently. And so we started Strategic Television in 1986, and I came back to California to do that. So I'm imagining you didn't go straight from clerk typist to starting a business with your dad. What was your path like in that company as it grew? It was... I just did things. I did more and more. I mean, they were, they were technically, it would be technically boring to get into what I did, but I just learned the technology that, um, so I worked with the engineer at our firm. And so by learning the technology, my place in the company became more important. And, um, I became one of the few people that understood how analog encryption worked in satellite technology. And so I created value for myself by just working really long hours and learning things that other people didn't know. Would you say that for maybe a recent college grad who's taken a job in a big company that they're probably overqualified for, um, but want to move up, what would you say are some like tips to me? It would say like ask questions and learn things. Yeah. And I always say, you know, work the job that you want. 
a lot of people will say, well, I'm not getting paid to do that. And I know, I know, I know that this generation is very different. The work-life balance is different and I think it's really healthy, but I also think that there needs to be a healthy dose of work for the job you want, do the job you want. People will notice, um, the, your managers. I mean, my youngest, he was working so hard and his manager put him in for, to be an aerospace two engineer. And they finally, they said it got turned down simply because he hadn't been there long enough. You needed to have two years experience to have that job. But boy, on his two year anniversary, he gets that job and they have guaranteed it because he was working as an arrow two. So I would just say working and for the job I wanted ultimately got it for me. People say dress for the job you want, but it doesn't stop there. Dress for it, sure, but also you got to start doing it, even if they're not paying you. Exactly. And I I mean, working hard has never hurt me. I I know I, I also say, you know, spending time with my kids has never disappointed me either. But working hard has always played in my favor. Okay, so you started as a clerk typist and worked your way up by just doing what you wanted to do. Right. Doing the work. And that was live television. It morphed from distance education into actual broadcast live television, Um, mostly sports, because that's what's live. Most of what you see on television is not live. But so probably 80% of our business was sports. Um, Did a lot of boxing for whatever reason, the way the way boxing is distributed. They needed that analog um, encryption that I talked about because they did pay-per-view boxing a lot. Now it's mixed martial arts and kickboxing and other things. But back in the day, it was boxing. And there were other things, concerts. That's those things that were pay-per-view at the time. And that was our job. That was our niche. And then all the live award shows, the Academy Awards, the Billboard Music Awards, you name it. Those were the shows that we did. The big marquee events were the shows that our company did. And um, we started it in 1986. And we had kind of a slow growth trajectory. I had one child. I had another one. Then I was soon single after that. I was a single mom of two. And then my dad died on a, of a heart attack on at actually on one of our job sites in 1991. So I'm, I'm the surprise of last year. I mean, I'm used to really bad surprises. So I had to really think hard. I had options. Some people said, you know, you can just come and work for us and bring your business with you. Um, I had my mom to take care of. So I just decided to keep the business myself and, um, work really hard as I always have. I had a couple employees by that time that we had hired and just put my head down. I really kind of am numb about the first, I don't know, probably year after my dad died. Cause I just worked. I had to work all the time. I traveled. Sometimes I would be gone 12 weekends in a row doing events. I just had to. And, um, it was probably at the baseball I was doing the world championships um, right before the world series. You do the national league and American league championships. And so it was tons of baseball games and it was, I'll always remember it was Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Atlanta were the four cities I would travel to for the championships. And I was in Pittsburgh walking across this, the parking lot. And I just said, it can't be me in five years. It can't be me doing all the travel. I have to build this company to where other people can be out here doing this, or I need to find something else to do. And so I did in fact find 
um, people to travel for me. Um, I hired people, trained them the way that I wanted shows to be done. And they learned the way that I liked it. I hired someone from ESPN. I, I found that my best hires were those that I hired and trained without coming from someplace like ESPN. But five years later, I had another, I was remarried. I had more kids and I wasn't traveling like, a, I still traveled a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still traveled like a crazy person, but I didn't have to be at every single show. And that was a, the only way the business could scale because there was only one me. And as I added more project managers, that meant we could do five shows on a weekend instead of just one. So one thing that I think stands out to me and maybe it would stand out to a listener um, is hearing you talk about travel um, for work because young people, we love to travel. We want to see new things. We want to go and see the whole world. And so like from a college student's perspective, the idea of being gone 12 weekends in a row, that's so cool. But there's other hard parts about it too. Would you mind sharing kind of the pros and cons of having a job that has you travel a lot? Well, I actually hired people in their 20s because the travel was enticing. Um, for me, it wasn't because I had kids at home. And so the people I was with were all taking the bullet train to Kyoto from, you know, from Tokyo. And I would be like, nope, I'm going home. And they were all going to the Great Wall of China. And I'd be like, no, nope, I got to get home. And so I think that for those that were young, it was really exciting. The people that worked for me got to see the world, South Africa. They would send, you know, bring home pictures of with them with little lion cubs and all kinds of fun things. But for me as a mom, I used to always tell my friends, I don't have a wife at home because I did work in a primarily male, male-dominated world. And I'm just that I don't have a wife at home too. My kids are waiting for their mom to come home. And so I say I've been everywhere and seen nothing. I saw motel rooms, airports, and stadium parking lots. But, you know, I, it was my job. It's what I did, but it was exhausting. I literally went to China for a day and a half. I, <laughs> I went to Belfast once. I flew all night to get there. I went to the stadium I looked at it. We would always do a site survey and then come back and do the television show. So I went there. I looked at the stadium. I got back on a plane and flew to London, stayed at a friend's house and flew home the next day. So, yeah, it was not fun travel. It was exhausting travel, but it was the job that I had. It was all part of it. And I could complain about it or I could just embrace that. You know, I had weekdays that I could be with my kids and go to their school and volunteer in their classrooms because I worked all weekend. So travel heavy jobs, it's maybe like a cycle, a phase of life kind of situation where when you're young, oh, that sounds really fun. (laughs) But as you get more responsibilities and your family grows and everything, it becomes more like work and less like travel. (laughs) You can, you can see, I mean, you're in the room with me, you can see over there, those are badges from television shows that most people would kill to see and you know there's Wimbledon there's ice skating championships there's golf tournaments and boxing matches and it was cool to say that you went to those things those were just some that I picked out in 90 when I made that frame but um it was fun to say that you were at these places. I would never, but I also told people I feed in more porta potties than any construction worker because we were outside. That's where satellite antennas are. They're outside. I wasn't inside the arenas. I wasn't inside the theaters watching these shows. I was outside working. 
but it was fun. I mean, it was a fun thing to talk about. It was, I was, I always had the most interesting job at most parties I went to. So <laughs> I did have that, but it wore me out. And in 2004, I, I threw in the towel and my cousin who had been working for me since my dad had died, he was someone, one of the people who I hired, you hire, you hire loyalty. And he was still, he was hungry. He wanted to grow the company very much like I wanted to with Mustang. When I when came to work there, I was tired and he wasn't, he wanted to grow the company. So he found a partner and they bought me out and they bought me out over 10 years. So I had that 10 years with income coming in to think about what my next move was going to be. And although I didn't use all 10 before I went to Mustang, it did give me a cushion of time to, I spent time in education. I started an education foundation for um, the public schools here. I ran the Boys and Girls Club. They were in trouble for 15 months because they needed some help to get a couple buildings built. And so I did some interesting things, some charitable things. I learned about giving back. I really got to know my community because I didn't know it very well because I traveled so much. And I realized that I really liked community service and giving back here where I lived. And so I got to embrace that. And that's why I think going to work at Mustang was so easy for me because then I was working with local companies and I got to continue to give back in a way that worked for me. Mustang was kind of like a marriage of your marketing background and also community being involved with the local community. Yeah. If you read my bio, if you read my bio, maybe you have, but if you read my bio, that's what it says. It was a marriage of my business background and my marketing education and the community service that I love so much. And the, I know the people in the community. It was easy for me to help someone with their community relations because I could pick up the phone and call just about anyone and get them to take a meeting. And um, I still love all those relationships that I have. Um, we, I did a really fun book. We, um, My former partner that um, I bought out, we did a book about we took 100 leaders in Ventura County and we asked them to give themselves advice on the eve of their 21st birthday. And we just got such cool stuff. I still love reading it now. And I will say, though, that no one said that they wish they would have worked more. Most people said they wish they would have taken more time off, more time with their kids. So I really do take it to heart when I see my kids wanting to have a different work-life balance than what I had. They certainly appreciated the lifestyle that I that my work afforded us all, but they also know what the trade-off was. One thing that I'm interested to know what your thoughts are, because you ran a business, a big business with a lot of travel, and um, for how many years, like... Um, from 1986 to 2004, a long time. So yeah, a long time. And then you had that time to serve in the community. And I'm wondering what kind of things from your professional career helped you to be like, if you're a community servant, how, what things did you learn from your professional career that made you a more useful and valuable servant to the community? I think probably not being afraid of anything except public speaking. I used to be terrified. Um, I just even to speak when I was PTA doing a PTA speech, my voice would warble and I'd be so nervous. And then the more it would warble, the worse, you know, the more nervous you get. It was just horrid. So I really worked hard to get over having a microphone in front of me and not be afraid of it. 
And um, once I got past that, I wasn't afraid of much because when you have the Academy Awards going on next to you and you're the only thing between that and color bars in everybody's house and no one's seeing the show, um, that's nerve wracking. And so to me to go up and ask someone to help out with the Boys and Girls Club or to help out with, you know, our public schools, they really need money or they need your time, you know. I didn't feel like I was asking for too much. I was willing to do it myself. And so I remember being PTA president of the school and people would say, well, I have other kids at home, younger ones. And I'd be like, yeah, I do too. And they, well, I work. And I'm like, yeah, I do that too. And so what else are you going to throw at me? You really can't spare an hour at the carnival to come and spend some time with your kids and let us do this great event. So I was pretty relentless. Um, early on. And then, you know, success, you have some success and you do more. Um, Jackie Irwin, who is our assembly member, she and I worked together on a far-fetched project to convince the city to give the school district money, more than $3 million to upgrade our three stadiums. But we did it. We had brought, we pulled together a coalition. We went to the city. We asked for this money. We made a compelling case. We met with the city council members, and she and I both got really bit by that bug. That's when she's went, were started on the planning commission, and then became a city councilman. And now she's our assembly member. I went a little different direction, but you know that is when we both realized that you could do more than just affect your family, your children's school. You can affect the whole community. You can affect the whole state, people around you. And so we both um, we both learned that at the same time. And we're still really good friends. We do a lot together. And I like it. I like that I can serve my community that well, you know, and do something to make it better. Yeah, I think that's a story and a concept that would really resonate with young people that want to make a difference. You want to do something that makes a difference and um, to be able to hear from you who experienced like, yeah, actually you can. You can just have an idea and have a good reason for it and you can things can actually happen, but it's the fearlessness and the persistence, right? Yes. I mean, I have someone who works for me and she's, when she was in her twenties, um, she realized how expensive diapers and wipes were. And she started a diaper bank. And last year in the height of the pandemic, I think they gave away more than 200,000 diapers last year to the, this community just here around us. Um, and they kept it simple, diapers and wipes. You know, at, at times they also formula and food, and that just had so many other rules with it that they've kept it simple, diapers and wipes, diapers and wipes. And it's a huge need, and they fill it. And so I've watched her at a really young age embrace not being afraid. She has a blog, she has a blog that has, you know, thousands of followers. And, and so I think you can do it at a young age. I just didn't get the hang of it while I was traveling so much. I got the hang of it later in life. But I look at some of the younger folks that are involved in the community and I applaud them. I embrace them. I introduce them to every single person in the room. I drag them around to meet the people that they may, might be afraid to go meet because I want them to love it and keep doing it. That's really awesome. Okay, let's move forward in your story. So you had those 10 years to um, where you were being paid but didn't have to work for your company anymore. And so you did a lot of community service. 
And we've talked about maybe a couple highlights from that time. Is there any other highlights from that time of doing community service that you would want to mention? Um, I think the most fun was working for the school district. The superintendent had said to me one day, why don't you work for the school district? You do so much. I said, you really can't afford me, <laughs> which was kind of a snotty thing to say. Um, but it was true. But once I sold the company, I what I told him then is now you can afford me because I'll work for you for free. And I literally worked for the superintendent doing special projects for about a year and a half for free. And it was just things, you know, it was starting the school's foundation. It was doing some, getting some policies and some things in place that he just didn't have time. And I really enjoyed it. I had my little office at the school district and I didn't get paid, but I still went somewhere every day. I, my life had real purpose and I enjoyed it. And then that was probably when I kind of started crossing over into using a little marketing because I was doing their communications and outreach for the school district. And so that kind of started, that's how I actually met Scott, who owned Mustang Marketing before me. And um, we hired them to bring them in to do a little more formalized communications. And um, so, yeah, it all kind of came together that way. So that's a, a future career move that came about just because you wanted to be doing something. And so you went and started doing it, even though it was for free. And yeah, and it led you down this new path. So that's Interesting and good to know. Good to note. <laughs> I mean, sometimes because my son did the same thing when he graduated from college, he knew he was going on to get his master's and he had eight months before the program started because um, Davis was on quarters and his master's program was on semester. So anyway, he had these eight months to kill. And so he went to work somewhere for free. I'm like, you're living at home. Just go do something, learn a craft, you know, so he learned, that's when he learned copywriting. He went to work for a marketing firm and um, worked for free and they actually paid him when he left. And so while he was getting his master's degree, he had a job and he worked remotely. And so it worked out just as well for him. And then he ended up being a copywriter and he still is. He's a, he's a senior copywriter. He's very good at it um, for, uh, yeah, he works for an HR firm. But yeah, he did the same thing. He worked for free first and it was a terrible, same thing. He graduated in um, 2008. I mean, that was awful. There were just no jobs. And even if he got one, I'm like, wouldn't you feel bad when you know you're going to leave in eight, you know, eight months, you took somebody else's job, you know, let them have it. So he, um, and so he learned, you know, he learned a craft that he ended up doing for a really long time. And now he's just made the decision to do something else, but he always has it to fall back on. Yes, I guess that's my, my big advice. Work for free. I'm not sure. <laughs> you can intern for free because in paid internships are sometimes hard to get. Mm -hmm. A lot of times doing work for free. I mean, some of the people that work at me for Mustang, um, she said, she applied. She said, do you have any work whatsoever? I'll do anything. I'll get coffee. I'll do anything. It was so sweet. It was like, we really don't have any openings. And she said, well, do you, are you just busy enough? I'll come over and work for free for a week just so I can learn something. And our receptionist was going on vacation for a week. So we said, well, you can come and be our receptionist for a week. And she was so good and she was so much better. We actually let our receptionist go and we kept her. And she is now our communications director. She's amazing. And we were just so lucky that she was persistent and that we got to have her. Wow, that is a really cool story and meaningful for a young listener to say, well, okay, so they can't pay me. Well, 
Yeah. Do you have enough work? Can I come help you in any way? That's really good. Um, so what do you love about your industry, your current industry marketing? I think I love that you can, A, that I can work in a lot of different industries. And because it's just interesting to me, I find business fascinating. I like our client that makes water tanker trucks. I like the clients. I like our Ventura County Credit Union. I like the hospital clients. I mean, I just love seeing how all these different businesses work, how they turn their systems, their business cycles, and, you know, the people they have to hire. Because there's always a million little things that you would never imagine in each one of these industries. So I love that part probably most of all. And then I also like making a difference that you can, they want to increase their business and we can do things to actually increase their business. If we're working with them and we're doing our job well, we actually can help them grow their business and make it bigger and more profitable. And that's always gratifying. So from what I understand, you love um, working with a variety of businesses. You love the variety of it and getting to be involved in all kinds of different very much. Yeah. And also you love that it works, that what you're doing makes a difference and mm-hmm. you're able to actually see results from your efforts. Yeah. It's really, I think it would be really hard for me to have a job where I wouldn't be able to see the results coming from live television where the results were immediate. It was immediate, both it was immediate gratification or immediate failure. Fortunately, we didn't have immediate failure ever, but um, there was always that fear of it. Mm-hmm. And this where the gratification isn't quite as immediate, it's still there. Um, you still, we did the census, the complete count for Ventura County, and we got some of the best numbers in the state in terms of actually getting the count done as a percentage of how many people they thought lived here. And I was really proud of that. I mean, we worked with the county. Um, COVID had just come, so they just couldn't deal with it. So we worked with Vanessa Bechtel at Ventura County Community Foundation, who is just a powerhouse, and Justine Fisher, who had been a state PTA president, who was working for the federal government part of the census. And you know, we just worked really hard, but we were super successful. And we, even though California is going to lose, you know, a, a representative of our county that we did, we had really good numbers. We did, came very close to a complete count. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> what are, or are there any major disruptors in your industry? Always. I mean, last year was a gigantic disruptor, but there's always something new. Someone is coming out with, in fact, there's um, there's always a new digital tool, a new widget, a new advertising something. I mean, just, you know, once Facebook started advertising, that was a big disruption. Social media in and of itself was a huge disruption. Um, people having their own computers and being able to kind of design their own stuff was a huge disruption. So we're always having to be careful to make sure that the value that we add is not something that they can do at home for themselves. And a lot of that is the knowledge. It's not being able to do a great design. It's knowing what to do with the great design. And so we have to make sure that we stay on top of each one of those new things because there seems to be a disruptor about every year. There is some kind of new thing that we have to learn how it works, how it works best, who it works best for, and either recommend it to our clients or not. Yeah, I, I could imagine that marketing is the kind of industry 
that is constantly changing because it has to follow, you know, consumers and the general cultural trends of like people and different diverse age yeah. groups yeah. and everything. <laughs> like now, if you no, aren't really careful to make sure that you're not, don't have a, you have a diverse panel, a diverse point of view, um, diverse people that you interview, it is not correct. It's not the right thing to do. I mean, I deal with it as my, as a college trustee, it's the right thing to do. And we're dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion every day to make sure that our colleges are run right. So it's probably easier for me because of that to translate it to my business and make sure our clients understand it. It's everything from ADA compliance on websites that isn't even, there's no real law yet, you know, and there's not Department of Justice guidance, but there's the right thing to do. And so for certain people, it is the right thing to do to make sure that their goods and services are as accessible as possible. It's the right thing to do to make sure that their staffing is diverse. And so we try to make sure that they understand that that is who they're presenting to the world. Mm -hmm. And if they have all white guys and um, that that's that's what they're presenting to the world. Mm -hmm. And so we try to... As part of PR and the communications I talked about, image control is part of that. And so recognizing that you have to keep up. I love this conversation that we're having and getting to see deeper into what it means to run a marketing agency. Because personally, a lot of the times I think, okay, marketing is advertising. And that is just such a, that's a part of it, but it's not the whole story. Yeah, I would say it's far less than half. At least at at my agency, it is. It is really understanding the strategy of where someone wants to go and helping them get there is a third. And the communications piece, that PR, social media, image, all of those things is a third. And then there's probably a third is that creative advertising, whatever, you know, websites and all of those things is about a third. Would you, now this is not from the script at all, but would you call yourself a creative person? Not at all. I always am so amazed at the people that work for me because we'll go to a meeting and our client will talk about what they envision. And I might come up with a little idea in my head, but I always say, I see a white piece of paper. I don't see it. And the things that they come up with are just staggering to me. They, the folks that are trained in graphic design or they're trained in creative writing, they really know how to knock it out. I love working with them. The energy is so great and I have so much respect for their talent because it is not a talent that I have. I mean, I'll go out and get the clients, but boy, don't depend on me to give them the graphic design because I can't do it. I know it's not, I'm... I'm creative in that I know what I like and don't like, but a lot of people are creative like that. I can't come up with the ideas that they come up with. That's interesting for you to say, oh, I'm not that creative when you, you know, own a marketing company because a lot of people I think feel like marketing is for creative types. And so it's good to see that, yeah, like there's creative people there and they're great to work with, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be that in order to have a place in a company like that. And in fact, it's very divided. I mean, if you look at the bigger companies, they will have a brand and within their marketing department. They'll have people that are in charge of their brand. They'll have people that are in charge of outbound marketing. They'll have people that are in charge of lead generation. And they're almost siloed marketing departments. It's 
such a complex field that most folks wouldn't know it until they, unless they've gone to school and learned about it and interned in it or they're out working in it. It is, there's so much out there. I spoke to one of our former employees, super smart guy, great designer, and he does the thumbnail. He's the lead of at LinkedIn. I know I'm going to get this wrong, so I won't say his name, but he's, you know, in charge or manager of, um, it's not thumbnail designs. It's like, it's something even smaller than that, but it's, it's a huge part of what they do. And I was like, wow, but it is a big deal on LinkedIn, making sure that your thumbnail designs with all of those things are just right. And they look at pixels and, you know, pixel design. And there's just so much now in the digital advertising world that you would never imagine people that are good animators, um, some, you know, do great digital anim- animation and some still do it by hand. But I mean, digital is amazing. Zeros and ones are taking over the world. <laughs> it is, it, it, it's, I guess, because it's measurable. It really comes down to it because otherwise marketing, most people think of marketing and advertising. It was voodoo, you know, how much to, did Coke sales go up and did, was it because of the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial, or was it just because people bought more Coke because it was hot? You know, it was really hard to tell. Now with digital advertising, you can really, you can measure someone went from that advertisement onto your website and they bought something or they went onto your website and they left right away because your website didn't load fast enough. I mean, everything is measurable. That is, those are really powerful tools. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like an exciting industry to be entering at this point because it continues to evolve and it's moving towards greater measurability, right? Right. And I think for those that aren't creative, but they really like the idea of it, being a data nerd, we need those. I mean, I love my data nerds that tell me, you know, what the analytics, what are they telling me? What do you know, I had a client who just absolutely wanted to be on Twitter and I just couldn't convince him that Twitter was not the place to be. And I said, let's just try Facebook and LinkedIn and he only has 37 Twitter followers still. And I think that's all of us that work with him. And, you know, Facebook exploded. LinkedIn exploded. I'm like, this is where your people are. Your people aren't on Twitter. Twitter is this fast moving. You have to constantly be on it, care and feeding. Whereas, you know, LinkedIn, you don't have to care and feed it that often. You can post something once a week and you're good. And so it's really finding that right outlet. But that's that's what the measurements and the analytics are all about. And that's what I said, you can have great creative, but if you don't put it in the right place, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's really a place for a lot of different kinds of thinkers mm-hmm. in the marketing industry. When, at what point in your growing up, did you know what you wanted to do for a living? When I was young, I distinctly remember going over to an office park and digging through the dumpsters and getting like office forms and being coming back and like playing business. I used to fill out the forms and just like play pretend business. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was pretending I was running a business. So I think that probably told me when I was pretty young. I used to play school too, but a lot of people played school. Not a lot of people played business. (laughs) So I think I probably got knocked on the head pretty early that I just was intrigued with how businesses worked. 
And so I, when I worked for my dad, when I was in high school at the motorhome company, I worked in every department. I worked in marketing. I worked in accounting. I worked in sales. I worked in manufacturing. I worked back in the print shop. I wanted to learn all of it. I just was a sponge. And so I think I just was drawn to how business works. I love that because it wasn't, I want to be, you know, this specific type of business. I don't, it wasn't, I want to make this product or I want to do this kind of service. It was, I want to be a part of a business. I want to understand business. And so I love the broadness of that. Um, but, and I love that you then tried to grasp all of that broadness by experiencing it all yourself. Yeah. And I, that's why I still, as a marketing agency, I'll never specialize in something because I would, if I was, I would get tired of just healthcare. I would get tired of just finance. I would get tired of just automobile dealerships. So for me, it is so fun to get to do what I do, which is kind of nose in a lot of people's business. And I mean, they always know it better than I do. But I mean, I know about waste hauling. I know about organic recycling from customers that we have. I know about wide format printing and lots and lots of things that most people don't know anything about. They don't even know that it matters. And, you know, I know that uh, water trucks are divided up and why they're the shape they're the shape they are for safety and different things. It's just fascinating to me to learn all these different things that I get to know. I consider it sort of my own little secret. It's continued education, which is something that a lot of people also want. Yes, it is continued education. It is fun to learn and kind of get to have and hold these things that other people don't get to learn and get to know. Okay, I think I want to transition now into kind of more advice for young people. Um, So let's start with. What skills or attributes are most valuable in a candidate for an entry-level position in your industry? For our industry, it's willingness to try anything and do anything. I mean, the one thing about being a small business owner is people who say, gosh, you're so lucky you own your own business. I'm like, I'm also the janitor. You know, I take out the trash and I clean out the refrigerator and do all of those things too. So I think just a willingness to do anything. If you're going into a small business or a large business, people will notice. And I think particularly for women and with all the gender equity issues, women are afraid to be the one that clears the table because they think that's not necessarily a woman's role, but it's okay to do it once. And it's also okay to say, Hey, Ted, who's, you know, someone who's at your level and say, help me clear these cups off or help me, you know, pour water for everybody. And so I think being willing to do those things and being willing to put yourself out there and do that extra thing. Hey, do we need bagels for that meeting in the morning? I'll pick those up because that's when you're going to get noticed in any business, whether it's a marketing agency or any business. If you're the one that's willing to say, I'll get up 15 minutes early and pick up juice and bagels for the meeting. And the meeting's going to be better for everyone. And I promise your manager is going to notice. I love that because when you said be willing to do anything, I was thinking, okay, so be willing to maybe do bookkeeping or like clerk stuff. Or I was thinking of roles like job descriptions. But I love that you're saying like literally be willing to help clean up the office, be willing to do these little things because that's what helps you stand out. It does. I mean, and it really, truly does. I can tell you the 
people that work for me and have stayed with me for a long time and that I'm willing to pay anything to keep them are the ones that will do all of those things that they don't, it's not beneath them to come and pick me up because my car's in the shop or it's not, you know, they have to run and get lunch that day. It's okay. Um, because I'll do it. I mean, that's the main thing that I like to model is that I'll do it. I'll take the trash out. I, you know, you can take the trash out. If the trash is full, somebody take it out. And, um, but I think coming in when you're young, you have a kind of a vision. And like I said, I'm really, you know, um, conscious of equity issues. But I think that as a woman, you also have to not be too hung up on it. You have to, you know, draw your lines in the sand and certainly be very comfortable with calling someone out if they're doing something wrong and inappropriate. But don't be so far over the line that it's like, I'm not getting the coffee because I'm a woman, you're asking me to go get the coffee. I just think it's a mistake. If you're in the wrong environment, you're going to know it soon enough and you're going to leave. Um, but if you're in a place that you like, it's like, let go of some of that stuff. Don't assume that something is wrong unless you know it's wrong. Trust your gut. Let's ask this question. What would the path look like for a high school student or for a recent college graduate to get to where you are? What would a path look like for that? Well, you're talking to a community college trustee. So the first thing I'm going to recommend, of course, is if you don't really know what you want to do, or if, even if you do know what you want to do, community college is a really great place to start. Even if you're lucky enough that your parents have four years of a college fund saved up for you, I still say go to community college for two years and use those four years and end up with a master's degree. But that said, if you know what you want to do and you want to get into marketing, I've just told you all the different parts of marketing. You can go and learn statistics and be the data nerd. You can go be a graphic designer. You can learn how to code websites. You can learn how to write and be a fantastic writer. So I need all of those at my agency, and it's a small agency. Then you can get into the real specializations, videography, photography, um, just clothing photography is a very different skill than taking pictures of people. Um, we had to hire someone who could do really nice laydowns of clothing because we worked for a uniform company. So there's so many specializations. So it's trying to figure out, I want to be a photographer. Well, then what kind of photographer do you want to be? And there's so many options. And so that's where I think getting out there and working just almost anywhere. You're going to learn so much. It's like take any, almost any job that you get offered and learn everything you can. You can always look for that next job, but holding out and not taking a job, that's, that's, not a, that's never my answer. My answer is take the job, learn what you can, and then move on to the next one. I was going to ask, what do you think is a smart or ideal balance between work experience and education? I think once you have your bachelor's degree working for a couple of years is the best way to go, unless you really know. You, you want to be a doctor, you got to keep going and going to med medical school, or you're going to graduate when you're 50. But if you don't really, really know, I think it's worth coming out for a couple of years. I have a friend, she's my age, but she went to, she was pre-med, went to UCLA, got great grades, could have gotten in any medical school she wanted to. And she took the LSATs because she wanted, decided she wanted to be a lawyer. 
And so at least she knew, at least she took that time to press pause and say, I'm really good at these tests and, and I'm good at, at medical science. And I don't want to do this. And so I think unless you're really sure, press pause, work for a couple of years and then go back to school. Because then you also have the opportunity. So many companies will help you pay for that master's degree. If you're if you're one of those valuable employees, someone's going to help you pay for that extra education. That's great advice. What advice? Broad advice. What advice would you give to young people um, who are pursuing education and work? Um, maybe specifically in marketing, but just generally, what kind of advice would you give to young people? I would say really dig into it and do the things that you like. Don't limit yourself. I loved it that my youngest son was an aerospace engineering major, yet he also was in the improv club and he was president of the improv club. I thought that was great because he learned, he loved comedy. He loved to think fast on his feet. And now as an engineer, he's got this skill as an aerospace engineer to think fast on his feet, be able to talk. And so I would never say no to something because it doesn't fit what you think you're going to do. Experience kind of everything that you can. If an offer comes your way, say yes. Don't say no. And thank you so much for doing this podcast today. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you. This has been an episode of the Rainmakers Roadmap Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Also, feel free to reach out with any questions you may have for people I'm interviewing or ideas of different careers that I can reach out to to try and get an interview. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time.